Starting on January 11th, Health Power will be posting every Tuesday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. On Thursdays, starting on the 12th, you're going to get Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. Say write books about dogs. I interview them. So if you're a dog lover, I hope you will check it out. Tell your friends, tell your family. Also tell them about Health Power. So again, Health Power every Tuesday, Dog Eared with Lisa Davis every Thursday. Hope you'll tune in. Do you have a dog that scratches its ear, smells the paw with the scent from the ear, and then licks it, and then does it again? Now, (laughs) I wish you could see the look on my guest face, the fantastic Dr. Judy Morgan. If you heard the Health Power Dog Ear Crossover episode, she's back. Don't go away, though, because we're doing a deep dive into her book, From Needles to Natural, Learning Holistic Pet Healing. So this is something my Pitbull Blue does. So he gets a lot of ear infections. And I did, by the way, take him to Holistic Vet. Very excited. But in the meantime, he'll just itch his ear. He'll smell it. And then he'll lick it. And he'll do this like over and over again. It's the wackiest thing. Anyway, Dr. Judy, I'm guessing you've never heard that before. (laughs) Oh, no, I hear that a lot. Oh, you have? Oh, Oh, yes. I've heard it. I've seen it. It's, It's really common because ear infections are common. It's one of the most common reasons that dogs are taken in. Now, what about the smelling and the licking and then doing it all over? Do they like it or are they just trying to examine what's happening? No, he's cleaning his foot off so because saliva is healing. So he's cleaning oh. his foot off and then he's using his foot to clean more out of the ear and clean that off. And then, you know, the saliva is being applied into the ear and it's actually healing. Well, speaking of healing, I so enjoyed your book. Again, From Needles to Natural, Learning Holistic Pet Healing. So in the introduction, you write about how you joined this online group, and it was a group for people who love and have King Cavalier Charles Spaniels, and then they found out you're a holistic vet, and then all the questions came from, and then they're like, but you should write this down, and you're like, holy cow, yes. Well, you might not have said holy cow, but (laughs) holy dog, yes. (laughs) Tell us about this. Uh, well, the, I started answering questions in the group. It was a very small group at the time, only about 250 people, all Cavalier lovers. And a friend who's a Cavalier lover, fellow rescue person, asked me to join the group. And so when I – this was very early with my days on um, Facebook. And uh, they would ask questions, and I would give – like, what heartworm preventative do you use? What flea and tick preventative do you use? What's the best food for my Cavalier? And how many vaccines do you give? What vaccines do you give? So I started answering the questions, and my answers were a little different from everyone else's answers. And so they started getting really curious, like, who are you and why are you giving answers that nobody else is giving? Right. And uh, so then as new people would join, because it was a growing group, but they've kept it small. It, now I think it's topped at 400. And we nev- it, the only way somebody can get in is to be brought in by another member. And that's only if somebody else leaves. So, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so it's a small, really tight-knit group. And uh, they said, well, we get new people coming in and they ask the same questions and then you have to answer them over and over and over. So they started making like, you can make documents in the top of your Facebook page. So they started putting things up in these little document centers 
And they said, boy, this would be a lot easier if you just wrote it down somewhere. And I just kind of jokingly said, well, maybe I'll write a book. <laughs> and I yeah, I kind of had dabbled with that. I, I'm just a huge book reader. I love books. Uh, my mother, who is almost 86, has read 175 books in the last 10 months. Talk about an oh avid reader. Gosh, that's So amazing. we are a book family. And so I thought, well, that would be kind of cool, writing this down and, and writing a book. So I did. It, I actually spent about six weeks writing it and then I didn't know what to do with it because I had never published That's a book it? before. Yeah. And I, I had wow. never published a book before, so I was clueless. I put it down. Like it was in my computer tucked away. And about a year later my husband said, you know, you might want to do something with that book that you spent all that time writing. Okay. So then I started investigating um how to get it published and we actually took a three week vacation to California and because we're from the East Coast, we had this time change. So I spent three weeks of my vacation devoted to getting this book edited and finished. And because we were on this time change, I got up at three in the morning and sat at my desk in this beautiful overlooking a golf course in California where the weather was perfect. And for three weeks from 3 a.m. to 11 a.m., I worked on that book nonstop and that's how you can write a book in three weeks. You, you just say, this is all I'm going to do. <laughs> and then in the afternoon, we would go out and walk or hike or go to the beach. So it was great because I could do this time shifting thing. And then when I got home, I said, well, now I really have to focus on getting this thing published and figure out how to do that. So I did. Oh, that's great. <laughs> in the book, From Needles to Natural, Learning Holistic Pet Healing, you write, quote, I have formed many opinions, and that is what this book contains, a collection of my opinions. Many of those opinions are backed by solid research. Some are gut feelings, and some just come with experience. What are some of the situations where your gut feelings come into play? Oh, my gosh. I think that any of us who are really involved in an animal field – have the ability to intuitively know what the animal wants and needs. I would never call myself an animal communicator, but there are so many times that a client would come in with their pet and I would just look at this animal and the animal would look at me and I'd say, I know exactly what we need to do, or I know exactly what this pet wants and needs. Um, and this really became apparent to me when we would have to be making end of life decisions. Mm -hmm. And I would look at the dog and the room would get very quiet and I would literally just sit there and stare at this animal and stare into their face and have my own communication with them and go back and forth with, are you ready? Are you okay? And it's really interesting. Sometimes the animals are are saying, I'm ready. Like, I, I, I really do, I don't want to do this anymore. My body has worn out and I'm ready to move on. Others say, oh my gosh, I, no, I'm, no, <laughs> like, I am not ready. Um, and, you know, sometimes our animals actually hang on for us because they think that, and I've actually worked with other communicators to help me with my own animals because sometimes you can't get out of your own way when it's your own pet. Um, and where they've told me, look, this animal is hanging around because they think that you're not going to be able to handle their loss. So our animals are so tuned in to us. And if we will just listen, and I really learned this when I was doing chiropractic on horses in particular. Mm. I, I do chiropractic on all species, really. But when I would work on horses, horses 
are just, and I, I used to have a huge writing stable, did about a hundred lesson students a week. I had a lot of boarders and, um, I used to say to the to the students all the time, will you please just whisper at the horse, stop screaming at them. Don't yank on the reins. Don't kick them hard in the sides. Just just give them a little kiss or a little tweak on the rein or a little push on the side. Um, but when I would do chiropractic on horses, they literally would take their nose and turn around and stick it on the spot where it's like, I need help right here. And they were the same way with acupuncture. And when I started listening to the dogs and the cats in the same way, they literally will say, I need help right here. And if we will listen, they'll tell us everything they need. I love in the book how you talk about your childhood and you tell us a little bit about Peep Peep. Oh, so my mother grew up on a farm and she she was the youngest of three children. And on the they had a dairy farm. My grandfather would rehab farms every year. So they would move, and uh, her favorite was the dairy farm because she was a very young child, probably five or six years old, and her job was to bottle feed the calves. And my mother loves baby anything, people, animals, you name it. She loves animals in general, and she pretty much loves all people. She's just kind of this amazing, happy person. Um, (laughs) We could all take lessons from her. I I have never heard her say a bad word. She just, she's always like makes the best out of everything. But that's who I learned from. So when I was born, we already had Toby, who was an English, um, or I'm sorry, a uh, Irish setter, Cocker Spaniel Cross. So he's a little bigger than a cocker and he was dark red like an Irish setter. He loved us. He was very loyal to my mother, very loyal to my sister, and I'm my sister's a year older. He hated everybody else. Um, he just was not a user-friendly dog for anyone other than us. But we loved him. We could do anything with him. And um, we moved to live on a lake, and on our lake we had snapping turtles. And we also had a lot of wild ducks and geese. And one day a lady knocked on our front door with this little wild mallard duckling in her hands. And she was from the next town over. And she said, I found this duckling walking down the street by himself. There was no sign of the rest of the ducklings or the mama duck. I don't know what to do with it. So I drove over here to the lake and knocked on the first door where I thought somebody would be home. And of course, there's my mother and my sister and I. And we're like, oh, okay, baby duck. I think I was, (laughs) I don't know, seven. So we didn't know anything about baby ducks, but... We built, because of the snapping turtles in the lake, we knew that would be a problem if we just kind of turned them loose out there. So we built this little out into the water, a little pen for him. And my sister and I would go out in the rowboat every day and pick lily pads because that's what he loved to eat. And so we raised Peep Peep from this little duckling. And uh, so my my sister and I were just, and my mother, we were kind of the, the three musketeers if an animal needed help. We were all in. My father was not a cat person, so I was never allowed to have a cat when I was growing up, even though I begged and begged and begged. My sister and I begged. We had stray cats that would show up once in a while. We would beg, and the answer was always, nope. Um, so when after I got married, the first day back from my honeymoon, I adopted a kitten. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to have a cat. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Now, Goblin and Spooky are horses. They are. So my sister, our entire childhood, wanted a horse. And there was this uh, ice cream place that we could go to, Haynes Dairy Farm, and they had pony rides. So we would go once in a while and get ice cream and get a pony ride. And my sister, again, we were small children at the time. She just loved that. And the Haynes Dairy Farm was right across the street from our 
elementary school. So she would sit at her desk all day and stare over at the ponies and dream about the ponies. And when she was going into eighth grade and I was going into seventh grade, my father announced that he was taking a new job in Virginia. And we were going to move from New Jersey where we had really lived most of our life. All of our family was there. We had been in school there for our entire life. And so we're moving to Virginia. And my sister, being a preteen in junior high, said, oh, heck, we are not. And she made his life so miserable. He said, I will get you a horse if you will be quiet, get in the car, and move to Virginia. And she went, okay. (laughs) So we moved to Virginia and... My mother being the great person that she is, she drove around and she saw this beautiful old farm called Bologna Arsenal up on a hill on the James River. And she drove down this long driveway to the caretaker's house and knocked on the door and said, hey, if we get horses, could we keep them here? And there weren't any animals on the farm. And it was hundreds of acres. It was beautiful, but it was really run down. There was nothing there. And she said, if we get horses, can we have them here? And the guy was like, "Um, sure, if you take care of them and whatever you fix the fences and my mom was like okay all in here we are she's got you know a 12 year old and a 13 year old she's gonna fix fences sure why not (laughs) um so then she found this guy who was willing to sell us for 165 dollars a pony a saddle and a bridle we knew absolutely nothing so we go and he tacks the pony up puts all the equipment on and my sister and I get on and we kind of walk around on it. We don't know anything. The guy's pulling the pony's tail and going, look, she's so safe. She won't kick. And for that $165, I'll even deliver her. So we had the pony delivered to the farm. She was the only animal there. And we would go feed her every day. We didn't know anything about what we were doing. There was hay in the hayloft that was probably 20 years old, but they said we could use it to feed the pony. And she had hundreds of acres to eat grass, so whatever. So the three of us rode this poor little pony to death. Come to find out, she was like 30 years old. We had no clue. So after a few weeks of this, I was like, can you get me a hamster? I want my own animal. And my mom was like, I'm not getting you a hamster. And I'm like, well, I have to go to the barn every day anyway after school because we have to take care of this pony. We're going before and after school. I said, okay, well, let's get another horse then. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. So then we went back and bought another one. So the first one was Spooky. She was white. And so the second one became Goblin. And so Goblin was only a three-year-old. Really not very well trained. (laughs) And since my sister was the, quote, more experienced rider, uh, yeah. (laughs) She got Goblin and my mom and I got Spooky. And we spent a year, by the time we left, Bologna Arsenal had a riding instructor, 40 boarding horses, a huge outdoor riding arena, jump set up that kids were getting lessons every week for free, going to shows with this trainer, uh, doing trail rides all up and down along the James River. It was probably one of the best years of my life. Um, And then when we decided to move back to New Jersey, my dad was like, okay, well, find somebody to take the horses. My sister and I were like, "Uh, excuse us? (laughs) So then he paid more money to move those two horses north than we had spent on those horses the entire year because our board was only $10 a month. My mom got the deal of the century. She's a bargain hunter. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. That's incredible. Wow. I am envious of your childhood. All these animals. My mom, I mentioned on another show, was afraid of dogs. So she finally let us get a hamster. That hamster lived for three and a half years. I've never heard of a hamster living that long. But I was determined because I, and I taught it to climb stairs. Big mistake. We get lost in the middle of the night. Oh, that was yep. a nightmare. We got out of his cage constantly. Even we put rubber bands around the little top thing. And he, oh, yeah. I don't know. He was amazing. His name was Rascal. But he's very <laughs> special to me. But yes, I would have rather had a dog. You know, when I talk about books, I don't want to give too much away. 
I do want to mention, though, that, you know, you decided to become a veterinarian, and I'm going to let people read about that in the book. And one of the things that ended up happening, which was very, was like extremely life changing, is you got something in the mail one day about a certain type of therapy and you went, wait a second. So tell us about that. So I I had a lot of different um, parts to my career. I started out as a very traditional veterinarian, went to a Midwest traditional veterinary school. So for the first 10 years, I practiced traditional medicine, and I frankly, I actually hated it. Uh, Was not very happy with what I was doing. It was pretty boring to me. I felt like I wasn't making a difference. We had all this chronic disease that just wasn't getting any better. And I lost my job for being pregnant. Um, you were allowed to do that in, in the early or in the late 1980s uh, with no repercussions. So I had to find Crazy. something else to do with my career. And I became a relief veterinarian, which is sort of the substitute teacher. And I would go to all these other practices and fill in when doctors wanted to take vacation. And I started doing a lot of relief work at a practice in the town where I grew up as a child, which was about an over an hour from where I was living at the time. But I was there a lot. Um, we ended up buying a second clinic together, and uh, then I had a business partner, which I never really wanted a business partner, but we got along pretty well. So one day at the new practice where I was spending most of my time, this piece of mail came, and it said, learn veterinary orthopedic manipulation. Help your patients cure more quickly after orthopedic surgery. Um reduce pain, all these different things that it said. And I was like, well, that sounds kind of interesting. And my partner at the time did orthopedic surgery. I did not. And I thought, well, shoot, if I can be part of this uh, care team for these animals, that will increase revenue and um, make me have a a piece of what's going on with these animals. So he okayed it, and we spent the money, and I went off to take this course. And about two hours into the first day of lectures, I was like, what is this guy talking about? I don't, I don't, I got lost on the way there. So I walked in like 10 minutes late and they were already starting. And it took me three hours to figure out what we were actually there for to talk about. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's talking about chiropractic, doing chiropractic on animals. Like I had only been to a chiropractor like three times in my life, so I wasn't even sure that I believed in this totally, Uh, although I did have a chiropractor get me from not walking to walking in one treatment, so I should believe in it. Right. Um, (laughs) So we had paid all this money for me to be at this class, so I was like, I'm going to stick this thing out. So I did, and then when I got back to practice after the course, the first thing that walked in the door was a 95-pound shepherd that couldn't walk. Actually, I didn't walk in the door. got carried in the door. Um, couldn't walk. And this little decrepit old man comes in with a dog. And he says, I think my dog has arthritis because it can't walk. And I just looked at this hunched over little old man with his cane. And I said, sir, do you have arthritis? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, <laughs> uh, could you walk yesterday? Yes, I could. Can you walk today? Well, sure. I just walked in. And I'm like, I don't think your dog has arthritis <laughs> that made him run around yesterday and be down today. He's like, hmm, good point. I had no clue what I was doing, but I thought, I'm going to try this new thing that I just learned. So I did my chiropractic adjustments on the dog. And just to cover my butt, because I wasn't so sure about this yet, I also gave the dog a dose of steroids, which, by the way, would take a couple of days to actually take effect. And um, I went on to the next room, and I opened the door, and I see this German Shepherd run down the hall. And I kind of went, um, um, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> I come out in the hall and I look at my technicians and I'm like, what did you guys do to that dog? They're like, we didn't do anything. Like we went back in to give the guy his bell and the dog was up running around the room. And I'm like, holy cow. One treatment, this dog went from down to running down my hallway. And the guy was like, oh, you're the best. Thanks, doc. <laughs> so that changed my entire career path. I was like, oh my gosh, what else don't I know about? There's got to be more out there. And I have to say that that chiropractic course literally changed the trajectory of my career and took me from traditional to, well, really integrated, but more holistic medicine. And it, it, it was just, it was a game changer. Yeah, you know, I was so annoyed when I read about the uh, head of the administration at a at a college you were teaching at pharmacological class. You had told them about this wonderful technique, and he said, "Tell me the rumor's not true that you're talking about chiroquactic." I was like, "Yes, oh chiroquactic." Yes, he. I got called into the head of the program's office. I was teaching at the veterinary technician program. There was only one college in the state of New Jersey that that had had the program. And I was teaching pathology and pharmacology. And so I was so excited about this new thing that I had learned that in my pathology class, I was like, okay, I have to show you guys this. And, you know, the students brought their animals to class with them. So we started working on all of their animals and it made such a huge difference. So, of course, it became the buzz of the college. And then I got caught on the carpet that I was not allowed to talk about chiroquactic. Wow. <laughs> and not only did he not like it, but your partner didn't like it either. He did not. My business partner, uh, especially after I started going deeper down the rabbit hole and it wasn't just chiropractic anymore, we started adding on a lot more modalities and supplements and um, really looking at things from a completely different standpoint. Um, he, he, start, he got a little angry at the beginning. And then after a while, he was like, I give up. Like, you are not going to let go of this. I'm like, no, I'm not going to let go of this. And he, and the funny thing is the practice that we had bought together, because he had the main practice and then we bought this one together. We bought this practice from a homeopathic veterinarian. And it was so funny because when I was traditional medicine up at the other building, we used to talk about this guy and go, oh my gosh, there's he's doing black magic and voodoo in that building. We don't know what he's doing. And so, and my partner and I had been together for 10 years when we finally decided to split and I bought him out. And he was like, I don't know what it is about that building. It's got black magic and voodoo in it. It's just never leaving. <laughs> I said, I'll take that. It's fine. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. Now you write the next modality you got interested was acupuncture and you were really drawn to Chinese medicine. Uh, so I took my first acupuncture course because once I learned chiropractic, I was, I was just all over the place. Like, Anything I could learn. I started, if you name a holistic modality, I was going to learn about it. Craniosacral therapy, Reiki therapy, raindrop therapy, essential oils, homeopathics, acupuncture, whatever it was, it was going to cross my path. So I took my first acupuncture class and it was so eye-opening because it's almost like learning, it is, learning veterinary medicine in a completely different language. It is totally different the way that you think from a Chinese medicine standpoint versus a Western medicine standpoint. So we have different names, like the digestive function for us, stomach, intestines, gastrointestinal tract. In Chinese medicine, it's spleen. Spleen is your digestion. That takes a long time because all we all keep thinking, oh, it's that red, you know, oval-shaped organ that sits down there next to our stomach. Yeah, it's not. Uh, not in Chinese medicine. So we have to learn to talk about things completely differently. Um, 
but it really spoke to me. And so the first course that I took was sort of an intro course. And then I jumped in with both feet and said, I am going to learn everything I can. And I did a year long course in acupuncture. I traveled to China to study acupuncture with the masters. Um, and the four branches of Chinese medicine are acupuncture, which is actually becoming pretty mainstream, herbal therapy, which a lot of people use. A lot of people use Western herbs or Ayurvedic, which is Indian from an Indian standpoint. Um, and then there's the Chinese herbs. They just have different names really for the, <laughs> for the same things. Um, and then there's Twina, which is sort of a cross between massage and chiropractic, which I was already doing the chiropractic and I was really into massage therapy. So I kind of combined all that as well. And then the fourth branch is uh, Chinese veterinary medicine food therapy and looking at using food for healing. When I took that and started learning about that, it was like somebody flipped my switch and said, you just found your purpose in life. And so that's why I've I've now written, besides From Needles to Natural, I've written three more books, which are cookbooks for dogs, because the power of food to heal our pets is just astounding, astounding. It is amazing. So one of the tests that I did, I adopted uh, an English toy spaniel. He was a year and a half old when I adopted him, and he had been in uh, foster care for nine months because nobody would adopt him. Mm. When he was um, rescued from the puppy mill along with his brother, he had dry eye, which meant he didn't produce any tears in his eyes. And so he was going to need lifelong medication in his eyes. Um multiple times a day. Well, very few people want to adopt an animal that has medical issues, whatever. And I said, you know what? I think I can fix that. I, this guy's young. I think I can fix that. And he was so, he was so danged adorable. And he's been on the cover of a couple of my other books because he's just so danged adorable. And we still have him. He's 14 years old. Um, so this is George. Came, George. Yes. So we, de I designed a dry eye diet to decrease the phlegm in his eyes, increase the tear production, increase um, fluid in his body, basically. And within three months, he was off all medications and his eyes were fine. And that alone, so that was sort of my first foray into what can I heal. It works so amazingly well that then I started designing diets for my patients and any anything that comes up. I'm like, okay, well, can I fix that? Can I, can I fix kidney failure? Can I fix heart disease? Can I fix skin disease? Can I fix neurologic problems? Yes, <laughs> I can fix a lot with just food. And if the food isn't, isn't getting us where we need to be, then we add in the herbs because the herbs are sort of uh, foods that are super powered, especially when we have concentrated herbs. So we'll add those in. And then we can add in acupuncture. We can add in chiropractic. We can add in massage. There's so many things. It's just my my world opened up to this toolbox that is just huge. It's like this never-ending toolbox. It's just amazing. You know, I brought Blue a couple of weeks ago to his to a holistic vet who was highly recommended. And she did something called muscle testing. And I still don't understand it. And uh, it turns out Blue can eat like eight things. <laughs> she tested a lot of things. And even then, she said, it's going to be really slow. Like, you're going to give him a teaspoon of turkey every three days and then up to two teaspoons. And so far, thank God he's tolerated it well. But it's just, oh, I remember it was cauliflower, peas, acorn squash, turkey, and beets. That's it out of awesome. everything. But that's okay, right? 
there's a lot of power in in those things that you just listed. Thank goodness. And what <laughs> I have found, we have done a lot of rescue. We just adopted a new one two days ago. Oh, um, wow. So we have done a lot of rescue work. And when our rescue, we tend to gravitate toward those who have a lot of illnesses or problems or those who are seniors. And the first thing we do is they change their diet when they come in. And it's it's really interesting when you take these dogs that have eaten kibble their whole life, you offer them a steak, they don't recognize it as food. It doesn't crunch, they don't know what it is, they won't eat it. So the new guy we just brought in two days ago, he's following the same path that just about every dog we have rescued that's been on kibble. He didn't eat for the first couple of meals. I finally found some freeze-dried treats that were crunchy because I want to get them on Whole Foods. And he said, oh, well, that's closer. So we ate those. So the next day we made him some scrambled eggs. He's like, ooh, that's that's like something I got from the table from somebody else. So I'll go for that. Um, and now we're cooking uh, homemade food for him. And as long as it's cooked and I hand feed him, he says, okay, this is pretty good stuff. So I will work on, he's got a lot of issues, and I will work on food therapy and herbal therapy for those over the next couple of months to see how many things we can solve for this little guy. Uh, but the results that I've had over the years with our rescue dogs and with my, my patients has has just really just reinforced that food is everything. I have a, a, a whole series on YouTube that I did actually back in 2013, and it's called Food is the Foundation of Life. And so I talk about this. And it is so true that you are what you eat. I, we, we've known that for hundreds of years. And unfortunately... Over the years, we've become critters of convenience because we're all workaholics. And um, particularly when women started working outside the home, we had two parents at work and then rushed around for meals. And everything became, what what can you get out of a box, a bag, or a can that's unfortunately been preserved with salt and sugar and carcinogenic preservatives. And we've done the same thing with our animals. We've gone to convenience. What can I get out of a bag, box, or can rather than how our animals started with people? They came together with people to eat our scraps. They ate our leftovers and our throwaways. And they did great with that. And so part of my teaching is getting people to kind of Take a step back to what did we do before that worked so well and why Why are we in such a mess now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I talk about on Health Power. So that's, a you know, perfect. So if you're into health shows, make sure to check out Health Power as well. You know, the, the woman that I brought Blue to, the vet, she had said it's going to take a really long time. He is a mess. He doesn't even know how to digest anything. I said, that's okay. I mean, if it takes two years, it takes two years. He's what am I, I just want him to get there eventually. It's okay yeah. if it takes a while. What I have found with a lot of these animals that, that I've rescued and brought in um, or that I've treated is that some of them will transition much more quickly than you think. Um, and when I, I had one little dog, Myra, a Cavachon, and she was a hot mess, infected ears, infected skin, diarrhea. I, she was just a hot mess, bladder stones, like, you name it. And... Um, Nothing had ever been treated in her six years of life. And so it just kept getting worse and worse and compounding and compounding. And 
so when I first started making her food, I said, okay, I'm going to avoid chicken. She seems really intolerant of chicken because that was what her kibble base had been. The kibble also had a lot of, you know, corn and rice and soy and synthetic vitamins, like all the crap that goes into kibble. And what I found was after six months on a homemade diet, she could eat anything. She was not truly allergic to chicken. She was not truly allergic to beef. So you may find the same thing with your dog. What happens oh, is so. um, their gut just becomes so inflamed that they become sensitive to everything. Once you get that inflammation down, a lot of them can eat anything as long as it's real food. If you want to go back to kibble, He's not going to tolerate it. They don't tolerate. They, they actually form an allergic reaction to the synthetic vitamins and minerals in the processed food. So they, they don't tolerate it well. The other problem is that our dogs are, they're not obligate carnivores like cats, but they are more carnivorous than omnivorous. Um, and so they really do need a meat-based diet. And we've gotten so far away from that with kibble and a lot of the canned processed, highly processed diets it's 60% carbohydrates. And that is not what our dogs are meant to digest. It causes a lot of inflammation. That's part of the reason that we have chronic inflammatory disease. That's part of all these GMO grains that are going into their food, all the pesticides, glyphosate. It, it's They're a mess from being fed things that are not appropriate for them. And chronic inflammatory disease and cancer are huge in veterinary medicine, we, we spend so much time dealing with allergies, IBD, arthritis, degenerative diseases, endocrine diseases like diabetes, pancreatitis, because uh, endocrine disruptors are in the food. Glyphosate is a huge endocrine disruptor. So huge problems for them. Tell us about Shana, treating disorders of the spine. Oh, poor little Shana. She was one of our rescue cavaliers. We got her when she was three years old and she had belonged to someone who was not in their right mind mm -hmm. and had kept, she bought her from a pet store and then kept her in her one bedroom apartment for the first three years of her life and never let her go outside. Oh my so God. Shana was a little neurotic to say the least. Um, but she noticed that Shana had neurologic problems where sometimes she would limp, sometimes she would scream in pain, sometimes she couldn't walk very well. So she turned her into rescue because she couldn't um, afford to do any diagnostics or see what was going on. So um, we knew, and, and the rescue knew right away what was going on with this dog, that she had a disease that's very common in this breed of dogs called syringomyelia, which is also accompanied usually by caudal occipital malformation syndrome, which basically there are problems with the skull shape and the spinal cord. And it can be a very painful disease. And it can present with a lot of different symptoms. It can present with seizures. Air scratching is one of the big ones. Screaming in pain, crying in pain when you pick them up. When Shana was having a really bad day, she would drag one of her back legs. Mm. Um, she had some days where she just couldn't walk at all. And I had never heard of this disease before I started adopting Cavaliers. And Shana, she was so crooked. When you looked at her, one side of her rib cage was longer than the, she had like extra ribs on one side and not enough on the other side. And even her nose was crooked. One side was longer than the other. And her spine, she had scoliosis so bad that when she would lay down her front end, she would be on her sternum with her front paws in front of her and her back end would be sideways oh my with her goodness. legs out to the side. But she was the most active dog. Once we got everything, we didn't do any surgeries or anything. We just treated her with supplements and diet. 
Uh, we started out with medication, and then by the time uh, when we lost her at age 15, she was not on any medications. We had managed to figure out how to manage everything holistically. But Shana was the best Frisbee dog we ever had. With all of that going oh on with gosh. her brain and spinal column, she loved to play with this soft Frisbee, and she would spend hours chasing Timmy. We called him Timmy. Um, she, Because she had been locked inside for the first three years, when they brought her into rescue, the foster mom had a doggy door. And Shana would run outside, and it was in the spring, and the little maple leaf helicopter things were falling out of the trees. Well, Shana had never seen those. So she was just enamored. And so she would run out the dog door and then just spend all day in the backyard leaping in the air with all these spinal problems, leaping in the air to catch these little helicopters. So for her entire life, her favorite game besides Timmy was Leaf, where she loved fall because the leaves would fall and she would just be chasing the leaves as they would be blowing out of the trees. And if the leaves weren't blowing out of the trees, you better find a leaf and throw it. That is incredible. Now, talk to us yeah. about Breeze. And he had seizures. So this um, client had a couple of, um, I think they were Border Collies, that were uh, search and rescue dogs. So she had one that was a cadaver dog, and another one, I think, was uh, searched for live people. Uh, I never realized how specialized these search and rescue dogs were until I met this client. She was amazing. But Breeze developed seizures, and he couldn't work because of the seizures, and he couldn't be on medication and work. So she came to me kind of as the, oh, poo, we got to solve this without having this dog be on a bunch of medications because he needs to work. He loves to work. And anybody who has any of those working breeds, you know that they love a job. And if you don't give them a job, they're going to be really frustrated and you're going to have more problems. So we ended up um, doing diet therapy as well as acupuncture and herbs to make him seizure-free so that he could go back to work. Um, And over the years, she had, mm, I want to say four or five different dogs that we worked with. Sometimes she had two dogs at a time, sometimes three. Uh, But her dogs were always amazing. And she, once we got going on using holistic therapies to treat her dogs, she never looked back and she was like, this is how we are going to raise all these dogs. Unfortunately, with, um, with them being registered as search and rescue dogs, she didn't have a big choice in some things as far as what vaccines they had to get or, uh, some of the treatments that they had to get, which, um, made it a little bit more tricky. Uh, but So we worked with what we had to work with, but we were able to return her dog to work, which is great because those dogs love their jobs. Oh, that is fantastic. I love reading about the different dogs. One that was just like, oh, is your daughter Gwen adopted Delilah? Yeah, Delilah's dilemma. Yeah. So that was our first Cavalier. That's what got me started in this whole Cavalier thing. And the funny thing is when I was first in practice in traditional medicine, I don't even know if I'd ever actually seen a Cavalier in person. But back in the 80s, I I had grown up with my Cocker, and I knew he was a little bit feisty, uh, to say the least. And um, during the 80s, Cockers were really overbred. They were like the number one AKC breed. And because they were being overbred, they they had a lot of medical issues and behavior issues. So people would come to me and they'd say, hey, I want to get a new dog. I want a small dog. I've got kids. What do you recommend? And as much as I would have loved to have said a Cocker, I was really nervous because when you got a good one, you got a good one. When you got a bad one, it was going to be really ugly. Um, so I kept telling people to go find a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel because I just knew that they were awesome. Even though I'd never had one, I don't think I ever had one as a patient, but it just kept coming out of my mouth and I don't know why. <laughs> so 
Uh, I guess my daughter must have heard me say that a few times. So when she was about 12, 12 or 13, she wanted to adopt her own dog to be her own companion. And through a series of things that happened, and I think most of it's in the book, but um, she did end up being able to adopt a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, Delilah, um, who was three at the time that we got her. And Delilah developed mitral valve disease later in life, which... Again, that's a big time problem for Cavaliers, and I didn't really know much about it because I hadn't had the breed. I the the learning curve all of a sudden was like I got to learn everything I can, and unfortunately, she got diagnosed way too late. Um, so I couldn't jump on board as fast as I would have liked to at the time. Um, and Delilah, she was so attached to Gwen; she was a shy dog. Everybody just adored this dog. She went everywhere with Gwen. And when Gwen went off to college, Delilah lived with us, and she would lay at the top of the stairs right outside Gwen's bedroom door all the time. She would come down for meals. Mm -hmm. She just wanted Gwen to come home. And when Gwen would come home, oh, my gosh, that dog would fly down the stairs and then be glued to Gwen for the whole weekend. And um, Delilah snored louder than any dog we've ever had. We could hear her (laughs) at the other end of the house. And after Delilah passed, Gwen was like, I really can't sleep without my snoring dog. And we were like, wow, we really can't sleep without your snoring dog either. We got so used to hearing that snore. Um, But Delilah, she was a great teacher. And I say that every one of the dogs that comes into my life comes to me because they have to teach me something. Every one of my patients that came to me, they came because they had to teach me something. I didn't have to teach them. I I had to teach their owners, um, but every one of them taught me something along the way. What did Delilah teach you? Oh, she taught me all about mitral valve disease. I had to learn a lot. <laughs> she also, though, she also taught us about resilience and bouncing back because she came from one of the worst puppy mills ever. And she was in a crate stacked to the gills in an old, old, old house in a moldy basement in Pennsylvania. Uh, hundreds of dogs were there. And um, so th- this is a dog that never should have trusted people again should have and she was very shy and it took her but she the instant the instant she was placed into Gwen's arms it was an instant bond and I mean Gwen could have told that dog to jump through fire and Delilah would have done it for her so um when it dogs are just so forgiving you you can put them through so much and they're just like I love you you are the most awesome person. I would do anything for you. I mean, they're just, that's just how they are. They don't hold grudges. Um, so Delilah taught us a lot about that. And I fell in love with her within the first month after Gwen got her. I said, I am getting my own Cavalier. This this stinks. Your dog really likes you. And she won't, <laughs> she won't do anything <laughs> with me. Um, so I ended up adopting two English toy spaniels the next month. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, it's funny. I used to go to this therapist and she wasn't very good, but she had a King Charles Cavalier that would sit on my lap. So I went a little longer than I would have, but there was no dog. I would have been like, this isn't worth it. But yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm, she's not very good, but boy, stroking this dog, they're just so sweet and soft and lovely. And now that I know how to take care of them, right? I mean, that's what's so amazing about your book is that you go down exactly what to do and what to try. Wow. It's such a great guidebook. It's really impressive. You know, I look, because that book came out in 2014, I look at it and say, you know what, this is the beginnings. That was like my baby steps. I would still do everything that's in there, but I have so much more in my toolbox. After 10 more years of of doing this, 
I have so much more now. And so, for instance, if you go on drjudymorgan.com, our website, the Delilah's Dilemma chapter in there talks about a lot of things that you can do for heart disease. I now have a blog on heart disease that probably has 25 more things on it Um, because we've just learned more over the years. And and I have in my um, yin and yang nutrition book, I think there's four or five different recipes for different kinds of heart disease. So there is no one size fits all. And sometimes you have to try different things to see what works best for your animal. But my philosophy, as long as the animal is looking at me and saying, hey, I'm kind of liking it here and I'd like to stay a little longer. Let's try something else. Um, I'm going to keep going down that list. I'm going to keep adding things in until I figure out uh, what is the right thing. So for instance, we just lost one of our Cavaliers, Stuart, Mm, little Stewie, uh, about a month ago. And God, it might be two months now. Um, And Stewie came to us with heart disease. We knew he had heart disease. We adopted him because his owner, um, was having problems dealing with his medical issues and stuff. And she asked if we would take him. So I said, okay. And uh, we did my heart disease protocol and did everything right for him. And his disease continued to progress, which it's a progressive disease. We cannot stop it, but we can slow it down. And he finally went into stage D heart failure, which is the last stages. And my cardiologist said, oh my gosh, we've got to change his medications to the really strong stuff. It's going to wreck his kidneys. I'm like, you know what? If that's what we have to do to keep him out of heart failure, that's what we have to do. And he said, well, you'll probably have two to three months left with Stuart. And I went, okay. And um, Stuart lasted just over two years from when he was given his two months. And he did go into kidney failure, but he did not go into kidney failure until 21 months after he was started on those medications. So in his final few months, he was kind of the perfect case for hospice and palliative care. It was like, we can't cure anything that this dog has, but what can we do to make this dog comfortable? So he was on specialized meals and he was on 25 different supplements and medications a day because without the medications, his heart would have not worked at all. Um, But, and people would say, oh my gosh, 25 different supplements and medications. I'm like, you know what? We got two wonderful years with this dog by adding these things into his bowl and and making his life great. So you better believe it. If that's what I can do, if extra omega-3s and if extra magnesium or extra taurine or whatever, I mean, there's, a, there's a laundry list. If that is going to give this dog a high quality of life for a long period of time, then I am all in. Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, you're saying this, and I'm like, whatever it takes for my babies, of course. <laughs> you know, speaking of babies, you have Laura Lou and the English Toy Spaniel, and you have that on the hair growth chapter. That was really interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, we have since lost Laura. She was my oh, first English sorry. toy that I adopted, so it was a long time ago. Um, and uh, Laura was my heart dog, still my heart dog. We all have that one, and I've had so many dogs at this point, but Laura was my heart dog. And when we got Laura, she had she came out of a puppy mill. She was, uh, I want to say, like five years old at the time. She almost died the night they rescued her from the auction. She was sold at an auction in Missouri for $20. She was so sick. Luckily, she had a wonderful foster mom that got her out of the auction and um, took her to the emergency service, spent $2,000 of her own money keeping that dog alive overnight. Wow. And so by the time we got Laura, she was, uh, it was a month or two later, she was doing better, but she had no hair. 
And I mean, she her skin was so bad, and her oh. ears were so bad. Just typical, no, you know, poor nutrition. Uh, puppy mill dogs. I don't know if people know about puppy mill dogs, but they literally are raised in a two by two cage, and they come out to get bread, and otherwise they eat, drink, poop, pee, sleep, and have their puppies in there. And um, so Laura was scared, particularly scared of men, and particularly scared of men with a ball cap. Do not, could not wear a ball cap with her. She was afraid of loud noises. Um, but with food therapy, Laura ended up growing the most luxurious, curly, wonderful coat. Uh, so we really brought hair back just by using food with her. Um, Laura did end up with a lot of other problems later in life. She developed glaucoma. Um, unfortunately, it was secondary to a medication that I had given her and blew her eyes out in one dose. And I, it just, I will regret that for the rest of my life, but I did, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I hope you don't beat yourself up. No, you can't. You can't. Because I, I have people that say this all the time, like, had I known before, I wouldn't have done that. Right. And so I didn't know. And let me tell you, when the drug companies come to your practice and they tell you all the great things about these drugs and they don't tell you the side effects, and they don't tell you, and maybe it's only a very small fraction of animals that'll have that side effect, but you need to know what those side effects are. And I, again, my dogs teach me, all my animals teach me something. Laura taught me so much. Laura taught me, you better know the side effect of Every single thing that you put in or on your body or somebody else's body that you are in charge of. Because if something goes wrong, you're responsible. So you need to know. Just educate yourself ahead of time so that if something does go wrong or there's a side effect, you can be like, oh, like I should have checked her blood pressure ahead of time. I should have checked her blood pressure after I put her on the medication. I didn't know. I didn't know. So we don't know what we don't know. But Laura lived a great life even after she lost both eyes. She didn't care. She was just she was the same Laura. Um, she just because she had been blind for a little while before we ended up having to remove the eyes because they were painful. Um, she just, and because she lost her vision slowly, it was sort of a slow thing. And then when it finally went, it was like oh poo. Um, but uh, she did great. She she did really well. So and the dog that we just adopted is blind. He's got cataracts in both eyes. Um, luckily he's much younger than they thought he was. So oh, we are good. going to try cataract removal surgery. So I've never done that with one of my pets. We're going to learn. He came to teach me about this. Okay, here we go. Well, you're going to come <laughs> back and tell us about that, but we're not done yet. We talk about a Doberman Astro you had growing up and you were talking about his health issues. And now as this holistic vet going, oh my gosh, I can see if we had done this, but you didn't know, obviously, it's a long time ago. But tell us about that and some of the things he struggled with and and how now you could have treated him so differently. Yeah, so that was, oh my gosh. So my family, when I was in high school, we got got into Dobermans. And um, so when I graduated from vet school, what dog did I get? I got a Doberman, of course. And one morning I woke up, and I was a very traditional veterinarian at this point. I'd only been in practice maybe four years, and I was eight months pregnant, and um, I was bedridden. And so my husband let the dog out to pee before he was going to work, and he opened the door, and the dog ran out the door directly into the side of the car, like headfirst, knocked himself out. Oh, gosh. And he's like, whoa, why didn't he stop before he hit the car? dog was blind. He had gone blind overnight. Oh my gosh. And 
So what he had was something called granulomatous meningoencephalitis, which is inflammation of the brain and spinal cord, and it affected his optic nerve to his eyes. So he had all this swelling and he couldn't see. So I got an emergency appointment with um, a neurologist, and I couldn't drive, so my mother had to come take me and my dog. And she spent the night. He ate her slipper overnight, puked it up. She couldn't find it in the morning. He puked it up in the car on the way to the neurologist. I said, I found your slipper. Um, But... So we get to the neurologist, and he says, okay, we're going to have to do an MRI and a spinal tap and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, fine. And we're going to start him on steroids. Okay, fine. Um, I didn't know any better. I'm like, steroids. In vet school, in neurology class, everything got treated with steroids. Like, It's got swelling. It's got inflammation. It's got a neurologic problem. It gets steroids. I know a lot better now. But So uh, we did all of that and got this diagnosis, and he said, well, it's probably from the distemper vaccine. And I went, wait, what? A vaccine can cause this? Never heard this in my life. What am I doing? I'm vaccinating all these animals every single day. And of course, then you have the, oh my God, I did this to my dog. So he ended up spending almost a year on really high doses of steroids, really high. And so those high doses of steroids caused a lot of secondary problems. He had to drink and pee every hour. So it was a flood, Um, big dog flood. He developed secondary bacterial infections, secondary fungal infections. His immune system was trashed. Um, Again, that his liver was trashed. That dog taught me so much. We did manage to get through all of that. He was only a couple years old at the time. We managed to get through all that. He raised my kids and he died at the age of 10 from a liver abscess, which he also taught me a lot of things about a lot of other things later on in life. But um, that was kind of, I think, the first eye opener for me of hmm, maybe what I'm doing is not all it's cracked up to be. Wow. You know, we didn't even get to all of the important things. We're going to focus on the book again, because there's so much in it, dog food and dry food and canned food and that semi moist food with ethyl blottedy blop in it. I don't even know like how to (laughs) pronounce any of that. And vaccinations and parasites. And now I feel guilty when I put, you know, Advantix on my dogs. There's so much more. So we will cover that in a part two on this interview. Dr. Judy, was there anything else you wanted to add today? And then we're definitely going to get you back. I would just tell people if you are interested in expanding your horizons or learning more about holistic therapies, check out our website, drjudymorgan.com. We've got all the books on there, um, tons of information, and our social media is really active and educational. It's just incredible. And tell us about your podcast. You have a health podcast for dogs. Yeah, we're we're just launching. I had one for two years, Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets, and then I stopped because life got in the way. So we're relaunching and um, it'll be twice a month and it's Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. And I'm interviewing some of the big experts in the pet space, really some cutting edge science, um, new things that are coming out, but really talking about things from a more holistic standpoint so that we can help. My whole goal in life now is education of pet parents for empowerment. Well, you've empowered me. I've been saying for years, I got to bring Blue to the holistic vet. I have to bring Blue. And then I'm hitting myself going, what the flip? Why didn't I bring him sooner? (laughs) Soon, hopefully, he'll be eating all those seven things I talked about and be off that damn prescription diet. All right. If people want to follow me, check me out at Lisa Davis MPH on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And tell all your friends and family and dog lovers about Dog Eared with Lisa Davis.